Okay, here we go. Uh, so I'm sure you heard my name though, didn't you? June, member of the church. Okay, so um, we're going to be looking at um, a passage in Ephesians. So if we've got, we got some Bibles that could come out for those who um, would like to... Thanks, Linda. Um, yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll take a moment to, to read this. Um, in the, so it's Ephesians 5, and in the church Bibles, it should be on page 100, uh, sorry, 1176. That's page 1176. And it reads, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a child, my nan took me to see the birthplace of Charles Dickens in um, Portsmouth. And this is how I remember it, that we walked through this area, um, which was quite kind of oppressive, um, lots of very functional buildings. It seemed quite dark, really. And we walked from that road into um, this light, beautiful road full of period charm, as you might expect in the birthplace of Charles Dickens. Two very contrasting roads in one very small area, two sides of the same piece of land. 
Today's reading might initially seem like a bit of an odd combination of topics. We start off thinking about sexual immorality, impurity, and we move on to thinking about psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. But as we start to look at the passage, I hope what we'll see is that they are two sides of the same issue. This is all about worship. And when I say worship, I don't mean what songs we sing. We're thinking about what our heart most loves and longs for, what we lean on and trust in, what we turn to. So we're going to think about this passage um, in three areas. We're going to think about what we worship, ways to walk, and one who is worthy. What we worship, ways to walk, one who is worthy. I am aware, folks, that this reading scores quite high on the cringe factor. I, do, I am aware of that. So do please bear with us if you can. Um, I, I also am aware, and I did put this on the, on the prayer WhatsApp, that there will be a point in the, um, in the message where we think just very briefly about intimate partner abuse. And I, so I just want to give a bit of a trigger warning that we will make a very brief mention of that. So if that impacts you in any way, please do whatever you need to do in terms of your self-care. Okay, so what we worship. In verse 5, we see that those who are considered immoral, impure, and greedy are called idolaters. And that means those who worship false gods. So we see immediately then, don't we, that this is an issue of worship. And I think that within this area of worship, for this passage, there are three areas that we can focus in on. So subheadings, if you like. And those are our treasure, our pleasure, and our endeavor to belong. So our treasure. One of the ways we can fall into idolatry, this passage tells us, is by greed. Now, if you're anything like me, the temptation is to think, well, greed impacts very rich people. So people who live in a particular part of town, who drive a certain type of car, who wear designer clothes, nothing to do with me. But actually, we can all be tempted by greed, can't we? This is a bit of a silly example, but if any of you are keen eBayers, you might notice this pattern. That you've got something in your watch list that you really want, and you set in your mind a, a budget. I'm not going to go beyond that. I'm going to be sensible. And then the bidding goes way beyond your budget, and you're still, bid you're still bidding. You're still bidding because you really want that thing. You must have it. That thing is going to be amazing if only you could get it. I mean, you've got three things just like it, but that's irrelevant. This thing is going to change your life. We buy into it, don't we? How driven and motivated are we by what we possess or what we want to possess? How much do we fear losing a particular lifestyle? How much do we love and trust what's in the bank, what's in our wardrobe, what's on the drive, what's in the diary? And how might that prevent us from giving to kingdom causes and sharing what we have with those in need. So that's our treasure, our pleasure. Some commentaries suggest that this mention of greed in this context could also relate to our demand that our sexual desires be met. And that can be an issue for Christians too. 
Christianity magazine carried out a survey of churchgoers in which 19% of adults, so that's nearly a fifth of adults, acknowledged their partner had refused to accept no for an answer when they wanted to have sex, and that that was a regular experience for 6%. Those statistics are pretty shocking, aren't they? I heard a podcast recently where um, a number of women were talking about their experiences of trauma um, due to um, being coerced and manipulated into sexual acts that, and this was in Christian marriage and actually supported, sadly, by the teaching in that church. So they were um, coerced and manipulated into sexual acts which, with freedom, they would not have consented to. And it's left them traumatised. It has left a lasting mark. It's heartbreaking, isn't it, to think about the impact of our greed on the lives of others. Are we buying into the belief that having our desires met, and whether that's our desire for sex or our desire for stuff, that having those desires met will bring us happiness and contentment and peace? Is that what we're worshipping? When the Bible talks about sexual immorality or sexual purity, it's talking about something much more broad than um, extramarital affairs. We're thinking about what we watch, what we listen to, what we say. Why are Christians so negative about sex? Well, I hope that Christians aren't negative about sex. But as many preachers will tell us, we need to be careful not to turn a good thing, so God created sex as a good thing, we need to be careful not to turn a good thing into a God thing. Paul here was writing at the time that um, in Ephesus there were some quite significant challenges around sexual immorality um, in quite a specific way. And I think that's helpful for us to remember that here in uh, 2022, we do not have the monopoly on sexual immorality, pushing the boundaries, or outright weirdness. Um, it's, actually, it happens throughout the Bible, but in this specific case, Paul was trying to address an issue around temple prostitution. So the deal was, in order to gain favour with the goddess Diana or Artemis, you bought sex with one of the women in temple prostitution, thereby joining yourself to the goddess and obtaining a promise that all would go well for you in life. It seems that even then, sex was promising all kinds of things. But we have to be aware that that's what we're living in today, this society where sex promises all kinds of things. Sex or sexual attractiveness can become a bit like a currency. So we live in a society where um, people who are involved in reality TV shows are more likely to be successful if they engage in sexual acts. Um, where advertising campaigns will use sex to sell us all sorts of things, from yoghurt to shampoo. And that's the environment that we're living in. We have to be aware that that's what's going on and be mindful about just what it is that we're being fed. We're not looking here for a sense of prudishness or following the rules really hard. We're looking for a purity in thought, word, and deed, which springs up from a love 
and a reverence to God, our hearts bowed before him. But for some of us, the temptation isn't going to be about having an affair. For some of us, the temptation is going to be much more subtle. What do we do if someone tells a smutty joke? How do we respond if a colleague calls us over to show us explicit images on their phone? The thing is, we really want to belong. We don't want to come across as prudish or out of touch with the modern world. But it does seem that this passage is asking us to draw some lines, to be a bit different. The fear of rejection or of being different is a really big issue. And so perhaps this desire to belong, perhaps this is what we're worshipping. So we've thought about what we might worship. Let's have a think about ways to walk. So earlier I was describing um, two contrasting roads in the same very small um, part of town in um, Portsmouth. Actually, the passage has a number of very contrasting issues. So there's fruitlessness versus redeeming the time, foolishness versus wisdom, death versus life, and darkness versus light. And when we see these contrasts, perhaps we get a sense of the fact that God does offer us different ways to walk. We are called to be different. Not deliberately difficult, and I think this is important to hear, not deliberately difficult or up-in-your-face disagreeable, but with humility and gentleness, different. I noticed on social media that a number of the church family have been enjoying the um, South End Festival, the um, Luminosity, or Luminosity, play on words. Um, and it's been great, hasn't it? You know, looking at the photos, and so I bet some of you have been, how many of you went actually out to see the light displays? Okay. Some, some great stuff going on. But what was impressive about the lights that you saw was that they were in darkness. So the lights were different to the darkness. They contrasted. That's what made the impact, the fact that those things that were lit up were different from the darkness. If you saw the same things in light, it wouldn't have made the same impact. Verse 8 reads, You were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. It doesn't say you were once in darkness and now you are in light. No. You were darkness and now you are light. That's our very identity. It's actually what we are. We're fundamentally different from what we were. But maybe when we think about some of these things, it doesn't feel as though we're radically different from how we were. One of my friends told me a story about when she'd just got married and she went to a GP appointment. And she was sitting in a crowded um, waiting room, waiting for her turn, and somebody came out and called, Mrs. Smith? Mrs. Smith? Is Mrs. Smith? Here, and this went on for some time before my friend realised, oh, that's my married name. She jumped up in the middle of the crowd and waited, that's me, she shouted. We don't always realise and live consistently with our new identity. 
We were darkness. We are light. Now we need to realize we are light and live accordingly. But this is important. It's not a case of us behaving first and then we are allowed to be light. We are light, and because we are light, we are asked to behave as children of light. God, in his outrageous goodness and grace, has adopted us, has made us children of light, has brought us into his family. Not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but simply because we believe and trust in Jesus. He doesn't set a standard and see whether we can meet it before he decides whether he'll adopt us or not. He brings us into his family. We are children of light. Then he asks us to behave as though we're children of the light. So it's not a case that we behave and then we belong. We belong and so we behave. So let's think then about one who is worthy. Isn't that beautiful that God would just draw us into himself, even though we don't always give him the worship that he so rightfully deserves, that he still would give us identity and belonging? Why does the Bible take sexual behavior so seriously? Are Christians just a bunch of prudes who are completely out of touch with the modern way of life? Well, when we remember that the Bible talks about church as being the bride of Christ, it's not surprising that God cares so much about our intimate relationships. He created sexual intimacy to be enjoyed within marriage, and he created marriage to point us towards, to be a reminder of our ultimate relationship, our ultimate union. We, the church, are Christ's bride. The fidelity, the loyalty, the devotion, the giving of self, the dignity that a healthy marriage takes is the same level of fidelity and devotion we are called to in our relationship with Christ. Can you hear this? This is a beautiful invitation. We, the church, as Christ's bride, dearly loved by him. I was listening to a worship song this morning, and the final lyrics um, were, He shall come like the morning sun, Into his arms his bride will run, for he has won her heart. He has won her heart. May we never think that we could find anything better than knowing Christ. May knowing Christ be our greatest treasure. Now, many of us will have messed up in these areas in terms of sexual immorality, impurity, those sorts of things. We'll have missed the mark, whether in our words, our deeds, our thoughts. 
So it's really important, and I really want for you to hear me in this, it's really important for us to understand that God's forgiveness is real and available. I think sometimes we, in our minds, grade sins as though some sins are easy for God to forgive and other sins are the sorts of sins we're going to have to work really hard to persuade God to forgive us. And we think that sexual sin will fall into that second category. We know logically that's not the case. So let's just be real about this, that God forgives sexual sin in just the same way as he forgives every other kind of sin. Maybe you're wondering if you might need to draw some different lines. What kinds of jokes do you feel happy laughing along with? How far is too far in dating relationships in terms of physical intimacy? Where do we place boundaries in terms of friendships in order to protect marriages? What about scenes of a sexual nature on TV? I suspect at least to some degree, the answer to each of those questions is going to be a personal one based on our experiences and our struggles because we are all different. But rather than asking, what can I get away with? Perhaps a more helpful question is, what is Jesus asking of me in this situation? What faithfulness, dignity, and devotion is he calling to me? Like verse 10 says, What would please the Lord in this situation? Maybe some of these things feel like Goliath-type struggles, and you feel like you sit under a heap of condemnation, and you feel completely stuck. The temptation, then, is for us to think, I just need to try harder, just need to make more of an effort. But my sense is that this is about worship and not about work. So put things in place, absolutely. Be careful, as the reading says. Be aware of your particular challenges. But over and above all of that, what we need to do is focus our attention on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that this is a quick fix. But bit by bit, as we see with fresh eyes just how beautiful and glorious he is, as we engage in worship, as we see, Lord, you are mighty, you are majestic, you are awesome, Lord. Lord, your loving kindness and your tender compassion melt my heart as we engage in worship in that way and see just how amazing he is and how worthy he is of all that we are and all that we have, perhaps we will experience a loosening of our grip on some of these other things. I would like to offer just one practical tool here, and that's giving thanks. Um, Again, it's not a quick fix, but cultivating what we might term as an attitude of gratitude can be really helpful for some of these things. When we're tempted, what can I give thanks for? When we're worried that we're not going to fit in, what can I give thanks for? When we really just don't feel like worshipping, what can I give thanks for? When we feel defeated, 
what can I give thanks for? Again, it's not a quick fix, but it can begin to change us, to change our focus and to draw our hearts into worship. There is one who is worthy. We might choose to shore up our lives with the safety of all kinds of beautiful things, yet he left the safety and the beauty of heaven to become one of us. There is one who is worthy. We might prioritize the acceptance of other people, yet he willingly allowed himself to be laughed at, to be spat at, to be rejected, humiliated, degraded, in order that we could be accepted. There is one who is worthy. We might pursue our own pleasure, yet he pursued us even to death. There is one who is worthy. And he loves us so much that he longs to draw us to himself. So, let's spend the rest of our lives loving and worshipping him. I invite you to stand and we'll pray together. I'll invite the worship band to, to come back up. As we, um, as we stand and prepare ourselves, I would invite you to, um, to just hold some of those things before the Lord that perhaps he may have been pinpointing. Lord, we, we thank you that you are such a good and loving and gracious God. And Lord, I'm aware that today we may have touched on some of those things that feel a bit murky or uncomfortable. But Lord, I thank you that you are so gracious, so loving, that you're not looking on us with any sense of disdain, but with a longing that we would come to you and receive your forgiveness and be completely restored and cleansed. So Lord, have your way, we pray. And as we worship, Lord, I pray that we would have that sense of that loosening of our grip on some of these other things. Teach us to treasure you above all things, Lord God, we pray. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.